This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hello and welcome to Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist and I've lived and worked in Fayetteville, Arkansas for almost 30 years. I started Self Work five and a half, almost six years ago to extend the walls of my practice to those of you who might already be very interested in psychological or emotional issues. Maybe you're already in therapy. To those of you who might just have been diagnosed or you're having a problem in a relationship or with yourself that you want to figure out but also to a third group of you, to those of you who might think, oh, that therapy stuff, not for me, but you're curious enough or sadly unhappy enough to listen to self-work. Now, self-work isn't therapy, but at least it can give you an idea of what someone like me, a therapist, might have to say to you and your situation. So I'm glad you're here. I've long been fascinated by the connections between our minds and our bodies, so much so, which is original research that you must complete before they hand you out a PhD, (laughs) and mine was on pseudo-seizures. Now, what are those? Pseudo-seizures look like real seizures, and real seizures are a burst of uncontrolled electrical activity between neurons that can cause movements and abnormalities in muscle tone, sensations, or states of awareness. But pseudo-seizures are not real seizures. They are seizure-like activity that's apparently caused by emotional or psychological factors. In my own study, I found a huge and significant percentage of those with pseudo-seizures had a history of trauma. To me, not surprising. If I'd stayed in Texas, I'd have continued that work because it's very intriguing to realize that such a complex set of behaviors could be psychologically induced, but that was not to be. But this week, I received an email question from a self-work listener who was describing her own physical symptoms that didn't make any sense, but occurred in the face of not being able to express herself, then disappeared when that stress stopped. I've seen so much of this mind-body interaction as a therapist that really nothing surprises me anymore. So today, we're focusing on the mind-body interaction, how your brain processes physical and emotional pain, a brief touch on what are called somatic disorders, but mostly what I want to focus on is how your body might be expressing the pain or trauma you've experienced in your life. And this will come as no surprise to those of you who are regular self-workers, what you can do about it. I'll use an example from my own life that tells a simple story of how this can work, and often simple is good, but I'll put in a couple of client stories as well. The listener voicemail is from a daughter who believes her mom may have something to do with her being ill, and she doesn't know how to leave or get other help. Now, this could be something called Munchausen syndrome by proxy, which is now called factitious disorder by proxy. It's a very complicated dynamic, but it might also be that this daughter's mom has been part of her trauma, and that's what she was trying to describe. It was a little hard to tell, but I thought we'd use the voicemail. So in this episode, sponsored by AG1 or Athletic Greens, let's learn together about how your body and mind are interconnected. And of course, that's what Athletic Greens is all about. So settle in, and I'm so glad you're here. (music) 
So much research in psychiatry and psychology these days is focusing on fascinating new ways of understanding the complexity of what's happening not only in the brain, but in the entire body when someone, for example, is depressed or has panic or anxiety, schizophrenia or bipolar disorder. If you haven't listened to my two-part series on depression is not simply a chemical imbalance, you might want to, and I'll have those in your show notes because I talk there about much of the newer research and ideas about depression. Add to that list now the newest research into how opioids are being carefully used in different treatments for depression, and even the drug ecstasy, or MDMA, whose psychoactive ability is being studied to see how it can help those with trauma work through memories or experiences with treatment providers that couldn't previously be reached or discussed safely. I just think that's incredible. The next few decades are going to hold so much learning about mental illness, and it's exciting to see the growth in options for those needing help and treatment and wholeness. But here's a bit of the email from the self-work listener about what she was experiencing. Let's call her Jackie. As long as I remember, if I'm in an uncomfortable situation and find myself needing to, quote-unquote, keep my emotions in check, or feel unable to voice my emotional needs or have them met, I find that I get hypersensitivity of my skin, especially the outer skin of my upper arms, as well as ache and fatigue in the muscles of my upper arms and forearms. This isn't the ache of overuse or tension, but rather a complete weightless spaghetti-like feel that just feels weak and painful. My skin will at times be so sensitive that it feels like a cheese grater has been run across it. The strangest part is that it not only comes on very quickly, but once I'm able to retreat from the situation, it takes very little to no time for the sensation to go away quickly. Let me say that if Jackie were my patient, the first thing I would do would be to send her to a medical doctor, maybe a dermatologist or even an internist, to make sure there's nothing going on with her medically. That said, I've been a psychologist long enough to believe strongly in the mind-body connection and how your body could be expressing something that you're not aware of feeling or that the way you feel in the present moment is somehow strongly or significantly connected to a bad experience or even trauma you had in the past. Here are some examples. First, one of my own. My husband and I went through infertility for over three years before conceiving through IVF. Early in the process, I remember telling my therapist how fine I was with it. She'd ask about anger, and oh, I'd deny that. I'm, oh, I'm fine, I'm fine. But what started happening? My inner thigh muscles, obviously involved in sex, not trying to be too graphic, began to tighten and hurt really badly. It even hurt to walk. That had never happened before. I was an avid walker. The doc couldn't find anything. But guess what? When I let my fear and anger and fatigue finally emerge with all that infertility, all the shots, all the doctor visits, all the emotional upheaval, my muscular pain stopped. Was that a coincidence? I don't think so. My body was expressing what I could not until I could. Second example. A woman came in due to memories that were beginning to surface about her past. She'd also been diagnosed with IBS and as a long-distance cycler had had several really embarrassing things happen to her along the way. That's irritable bowel syndrome for those of you who don't know. We began treatment where she was most comfortable and that was talking about the present. 
After she'd gained trust in me, we began talking more about her past, as she remembered sexual abuse from a sibling and neighboring boys, as well as emotional neglect from her mom. We used EMDR, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing therapy, to help her approach these memories safely, and she really made good progress. She left therapy, saying she needed to take a break, and it was quite a while before I saw her again. She came back a couple of years later saying that she tried EMDR with someone else and that it had not gone well. It had been overwhelming to her. So we simply talked. And she began remembering anxious stomach symptoms that she would get in her childhood and aching and churning that wouldn't go away. As she began to realize that she'd absorbed that she'd never be successful from being a sexual abuse victim, from being neglected by her mother, who was an alcoholic, being told that she'd never amount to anything. So she had absorbed that, and suddenly a light bulb went off. She looked at me and said, You know, when my IBS symptoms worsen, it's always the part of the race or the course where my self-doubt emerges. I'll never make it. I'm not as good as that cycler. And so those old voices prevailed, and her IBS took hold. Her body was responding. Her body was remembering. This was huge for her. We continued to work on her anger, her developing a voice with her family of origin and the family of creation that she had made with her husband, and feeling more successful as a mother herself, something that had eluded her. Now, not to make this into a Disney story, but her IBS symptoms got so much better. In fact, by the time she left therapy, she wasn't having any. Now, to me, this is a perfect example of how her body was expressing, or as Bessel van der Kolk would say in his book, The Body Keeps the Score, her body remembering her abuse and was holding it in its memories for her to find when she had the courage to dive deep. Then healing could occur. It's also fascinating to realize that our brains process emotional pain and physical pain similarly. Let me quote from this recent Forbes article. Whether you've been told no thank you for a job opportunity, become estranged from a partner or friend, or you've been unfollowed on social media or a dating site, your brain has to process being rejected, and neuroscience suggests that it literally hurts. Although the brain does not process emotional and physical pain identically, research on neural pathways suggests there's a substantial overlap between the experience of physical and social pain. The cascading events that occur in regions activated in our brains and therefore our reactions to the acute pain appear to be similar. And then they quote an IQ study done by Case Western Reserve. It says exposure to rejection led participants in a study to have an immediate drop in reasoning by 30% and in IQ by 25%. Meaning when you've been rejected, you just get kind of dumb for a while or you don't remember what you, what you know. I'll have the link to this Forbes article for those of you who are more interested. But I guess when you say there's a knot in your stomach, your gut may be reacting to your pain in actuality rather than metaphorically. And I think this is astounding for what healing then becomes. And that's the direction we're going to go after you hear this great offer from AG1. Athletic Greens, the green drink I take every morning so my own gut, mind, heart, and body will have the best chance I can give them. And I watch my husband do the same. (laughs) which I promise you is a miracle. But he can tell the difference, as can I. Our partner, AG1, has a product I use every day. 
I started taking Athletic Greens, frankly, because they were interested in sponsoring self-work, and I never recommend something to you without trying it first. With one scoop of AG1, whose taste is somewhere between sweet and tart to me, you'll get 75 high-quality minerals, vitamins, probiotics, adaptogens, and whole food source superfoods, which support everything from your gut to your immune system to your energy level. I love it because whether I'm home and about to go out for a walk or traveling and about to spend time with friends and family, I can start my day proactively, knowing I'm doing something for my own self-care. If you're like me, self-care can get lost for sure. In fact, its founder, after having severe gut issues, realized he was taking over $100 a day worth of supplements, which had their own very complicated dosage routine, so he created Athletic Greens. To make it easy, and because you're a self-work listener, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is to visit athleticgreens.com slash self-work. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash self-work to take ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Okay, so now we need to touch on what are called somatic symptom disorders. What the Diagnostic Manual of Mental Disorders might tell you is that my inner thigh pain could be seen as somatic symptom disorder, that actually it was a mental illness for me. Here's an article from Very Well Mind. Somatic symptom disorder is a condition that causes a person to manifest physical symptoms that can't be linked to any medical conditions. They basically get tested and no one can find anything. Yet these symptoms often cause severe distress to a person who has the disorder. They can experience excessive concerns about their health and might exhibit odd or unusual behaviors in response. People with SSD will feel overly concerned about any physical symptoms they exhibit and falsely connect them to signs of a more severe illness. So often it's accompanied by anxiety. But some of the most common symptoms are pain, areas where the pain is being felt vary from person to person, pain during sex, ta-da, that's me, shortness of breath, fatigue, weakness, lightheadedness, abdominal pain, digestive problems such as diarrhea or constipation. And sometimes these people feel like their doctor isn't doing enough to address their concerns. They worry about their symptoms. They feel that mild symptoms are an indication of a severe condition. They're very consumed with worry about their symptoms. They go for frequent health care checks. And they can either become unusually sensitive or unresponsive to medication prescribed. Now, I didn't do any of that. I was a little worried about my inner thighs. But again, no cause was ever found for that condition, and it was real pain all right. But I don't think I had somatic symptom disorder. I've treated a few people with it. They at times insist on operations that aren't called for, for example. It's a truly miserable way to live. But let's also remember that sometimes the medical field can't find or doesn't know the answer. So what I'm suggesting is that the body-mind connection should be considered here. How could what the body be expressing mimic or be a metaphor for what's happening or what didn't happen in the past emotionally? What old trauma wounds could be being expressed? Again, you always want to rule out medical stuff, but I think this is vital for us to understand. One of my most downloaded self-work episodes is one called How to Become an Emotional Grown-Up. And what I talk about in it is the recognition of when you overreact or when you underreact, you have to recognize that to be able to find and grow your true maturity. You have to see that what happened to you in the past is still influencing your choices in the present. 
And you can catch yourself. For example, you can say, somehow I feel like I'm eight years old right now, still hurt that my dad once again didn't show up for his visitation. And you realize in that moment that you're overreacting to your boyfriend forgetting y'all were going on a date. Or you're underreacting to some jerk of a partner abandoning you. You can either overreact or underreact. And if you can see that, then that allows you to grow. You have to develop some awareness to see it. You have to heal past your past (laughs) and to feel more in control and grown up in your present. So it's not hard for me to see at all that your body could and is doing the same thing. It's held back. It hasn't gotten over or processed what happened. The lack of safety or comfort you went through is stored in every cell of your body. And it still presses the alarm button in the present because you've remained in fight or flight or freeze. Your body has to heal as well. In fact, again, I'll say something about Bessel van der Kolk. He says... You have to help your body heal before your mind and soul and heart can heal. So let's go back to Jackie. After she'd been checked out medically, and let's say they couldn't find anything, this is what my psychological mind would begin to wonder. First, is this somatic? But because it's so tied in with a particular set of emotional circumstances, I'd question that. So how about number two? What could her body, her arms in particular, be expressing. When I read her story, I'll tell you what I immediately thought of. I thought of someone's arms being weak and even painful from holding something for so long, holding back her anger, holding back her pain at feeling invisible, holding on until she felt weak, even faint, holding on to the emotions that she had felt from the neglect she might have experienced or even abuse. And so when in the moment, when she doesn't feel like she's going to be listened to or feel safe in opening up, her body could be expressing that pain for her. So, if you think this is therapeutic gobbledygook, you have that right. Yet I promise you, I've seen situations like this over and over and over. Someone's body expressing what it remembers in a very painful way. Here's a couple more instances. A mom whose daughter had died in a car accident where the car burned. And for years, she'd experienced fevers that she'd been to Mayo about, unexplained and strange. As soon as we began talking about the way her daughter died, she realized that she'd never gotten over or past how it had happened. That although the impact of the accident had killed her, her body had burned. And there was little, if anything, left of it. So she didn't have anything to grieve And my premise to her was perhaps her fevers were a way for her to hold on to her daughter. I won't say they magically disappeared, but they got a lot better. Here's another one. A man who began having pseudo-seizures in his mid-40s, no medical explanation. And so he was sent to me because of my knowledge about pseudo-seizures. They stopped when he worked with me for a few sessions. It was actually him and his wife. And we discovered that the first seizure came about when his wife did something very kind for him. Now listen to this. She got him a piece of his favorite pie for his birthday when he was working on an oil rig. How she did that, I have no idea. But here came this piece of pie. Now that wouldn't seem to cause anything bad. But this man had never been shown kindness. And the pain his body held on to, the terrific abuse he'd suffered from his father, and his mother, I might add, was waiting to be expressed. 
He got better, although I must say he was very dubious about the whole thing. He'd look at me and say, this just sounds strange. (laughs) But he couldn't deny that the more he talked about how hard his childhood had been, and I also had him begin to do some physical, gentle exercise, his seizures decreased and eventually stopped. So, please give it some thought. Wonder if this could be you or someone you love. What could your body be holding on to? Before we stop, I want to give you some ideas about what you can do for that body of yours as you might work for yourself or with a therapist about what might need attention and healing. Sadly, in this episode, I don't have time to discuss all of it, but I've included in your show notes a recent Psychology Today article about different techniques that are out there, and each one of those techniques has therapists that are specially trained in it. I'll try to have a somatic therapist on at some point on self-work to teach us even more. So check out that link. But I also found a wonderful WebMD article featuring the works and work of a man I've already mentioned, Bessel van der Kolk, a psychiatrist who's done incredible research on trauma. He talks about in this article three major treatment methods, and I'll quote him as his words are far more eloquent than my own. He's being interviewed in this section. So Vanderkoek agrees psychotherapy can be useful as long as you don't expect it to be a quick fix and you get the space to talk about what really happened to you. It's giving a voice to the unspeakable, he says. Just being able to say, this is what happened to me, has been shown to reduce the need for future doctor's visits. He also agrees that medications aren't necessarily the best route. And I quote again, Trauma is very much about feeling helpless and ashamed. People need to be actively supported so they can take charge of their lives again and restore their power. Another powerful way to help heal is to move your body. And he says, learning how to feel safe and alive in your body again is so important. And notes that this could mean anything from yoga to tango dancing to martial arts. So I hope you might stop and question the next time you get a nut in your stomach or that you feel you literally cannot speak, the next time you have to suddenly leave a room without realizing why, or get spaghetti arms like Jackie. Could your body be trying to tell you something? I hope you listen. Speak pipe message from drmargaretrutherford.com Our listener voicemail for today was a little unclear and asked a fairly general question, but brought up something that I thought I might mention. How do you handle being ill and still living with your mother, essentially thinking it's her who brought the sickness on me? And how do I get better since I can't leave? She's the only help I have. So what I wondered when I heard this, because it was a little hard to discern whether she was saying that she thought her mother had caused her illness or that perhaps their relationship had been so bad that she felt stuck in it or that what she'd suffered in the relationship had caused her to not feel good about herself. That was all unclear. But what it brought to mind was something called Munchausen syndrome by proxy that is now called factitious disorder imposed on another. This is where a parent 
has a mental illness and they act as though their child or dependent has a medical condition that needs attention. In fact, sometimes they can even cause the child to look and be sick. They can actually be poisoning them or hurting them in some way. However, the child isn't sick. It often happens and occurs with a child under the age of six, or in some cases, the dependent person can be another adult, a disabled person, or an elderly person. This can be really very dangerous, and if a child is involved, it's considered child abuse. So I don't know if this is the situation that this young woman is talking about, but if it is, in situations like this, you have to start very slowly. If you're old enough, you can reach out to neighbors, answer uncles, siblings, teachers, someone who could help you begin to establish more of your own life. If you're again old enough, you could get a small job or volunteer somewhere, anything to establish some appropriate distance from your mom. You can talk to a doctor or pastor who might be compassionate. You also don't mention a father or stepfather. Maybe he could be of help or maybe your mom has a partner who could see your plight. Now, certainly, if you're being abused, you need to call DHS and report what's happening. You have to advocate for yourself. But think of it as an inch-by-inch thing. You're likely financially dependent on your mom, and of course, that's something that a lot of people struggle with. And she will not support you becoming more independent from her. So again, you have to do it slowly but surely. And again, if you have to call DHS, Department of Human Services, you must. Good luck to you, and take very good care. I'm so grateful you were here today. All of you make self-work so very special. And I can tell you're telling your friends and your family or your neighbors or somebody, co-workers, about self-work because we just keep going. And here's a wonderful review from Connie. Thank you so much, Connie. I've been listening to Self Work for over a year and a half now. Dr. Margaret is genuine and gives her listeners hope, encouragement, and suggestions of what to do about things. She is a hands-on therapist who really makes a difference in my life and many others that listen to her each week. I can't wait until Friday comes for a new episode. Thanks for truly caring about your listeners and making us feel connected. Wow. Thank you so much, Connie. Those are the kinds of things that I really love hearing because I do feel very hands-on. I've never been a therapist who could sit back and say, well, that sounds very interesting. See you next week. I just couldn't ever do that. Anyway, you can email me at askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com. You can send a voicemail, as so many people are doing now, that I'd love to hear what you're asking me in your own voice. That's through the SpeakPipe function or app. It's in your show notes. It's also on my website at drmargaretrutherford.com. And while you're there, you can subscribe, which means that you will get a weekly newsletter, which is a great and extremely easy way to keep in touch with me so you don't have to check all the time. And you'll get a weekly blog post and a weekly podcast, as well as if I'm giving a speech or something like that. That's all that's there. Maybe a little funny or two. (laughs) My book, Perfectly Hidden Depression, is still for sale. And I keep getting new reviews for it and new ratings, so thank you so very much. That is absolutely wonderful. I'm also excited to tell you that coming on board are a couple of new sponsors. I've appreciated BetterHelp and Athletic Greens so much, and they still will be sponsoring self-work. But I've got two new sponsors, again, coming on board that I'm really excited about introducing you to, and that'll be in the next month. Thanks again for being here. 
please take very, very good care. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self Work.